91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. The Seattle King County NAACP Health Committee sponsored a panel on how to deal with anxiety, stress, and depression during the COVID pandemic. Michelle Williams-Clark, who specializes in pediatric mental health and medical social work, has been a pillar for Black, Latinx, and students of color on the East Side. Williams-Clark speaks with moderator Kevin Henry about the mental health challenges for youth of color at this time. My beginning career with working at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., doing work with pediatric AIDS and HIV. Um, I stay in contact with that entire multidisciplinary team, and it hit me hard with COVID because just like during my entire time working there, the crisis of COVID or the crisis of having AIDS or HIV It's just one more crisis in a family's life that their youth is experiencing. So I was always struck by the reaction that was expected with a diagnosis of a pediatric AIDS HIV when they're like, but right now I'm experiencing homelessness. Right now my family has no food. So as as serious as that is and seems, it was always sort of the, multi, the, the reaction of medical professionals is why isn't there more reaction? And I sort of find that same thing around an emphasis around with some of our families and students around COVID. This is just an additional piece of what's already ongoing in folks' lives and the trauma they're already experiencing. And they were already on the edge and COVID just sort of pushed them off. So looping back around to working with the, in particular, the majority of students, again, I work with are black youth, they're high school students, and the the transitions happened fast and furious. On a Friday, they were in class, on a Monday, they weren't. On the east side, the population of black students in the Bellevue School District in particular that I work with, it's 3%. So, we know that racism is there. We talk about just from a clinical standpoint, there's already a DSM-4, DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual, which all of a sudden gave some validity in, in sort of a therapeutic setting to what we all know what racism is. And that's traumatic. And it is something that is ongoing. There's not a break in it. It's not something that students experience Monday through Thursday, and then they don't experience the other three days. The socioeconomic range doesn't differentiate racism. What really I noticed happening with students is we as adults don't process the ongoing internalized racism we experience. And when we don't have the words which we need to find, it makes it hard for us to support our youth through this process because we're still processing our own trauma, our own racialized trauma. But it's one of the things that has been incredibly important to me to address before we're in tandem addressing the trauma that our youth experience as a result of being isolated 
because of COVID. And, and I'm trying to connect these dots so that with the students that I've worked with, they took a pause to process because they were out of the institutionalized racist environments that they've had to be in. And for the very first time in their educational experiences, they were removed from that environment because it is so hard to process the ongoing racism you're experiencing when you're in that very environment. And that is a continual cycle for our students and then for our families who are lovingly protecting their children and trying to work through all of those processes that, that racism is a thread through. And what I've noticed and I'm so impressed with, and I'm always in awe of the students because they're brilliant. I don't know what I was doing when I was their age, but it, you know, it wasn't nearly what they've been able to achieve because they truly have been able to identify things that, that adults don't. And one of them has been when they've stepped back they realized that they began experiencing racism. We had a very amazing conversation and forum around their first recollections of trauma and racism, kindergarten, preschool, but they didn't have the words for it. They didn't know, one young lady described it as my tummy hurt. I knew my stomach bothered me. And now she's 16 taking a break away from that, what I will use as a sort of a toxic environment in an institutionalized system, in the educational system. And she's looking back over, this is what I have truly experienced and endured. And what we've been able to also introduce is healing-centered engagement, which is a move away from trauma-informed practices because healing-centered engagement, and that's what I've been working on my curriculum around, is focusing on the strength, your strength, not that trauma defines you. I, I will not, and, and that's one thing that I really try to articulate to youth, you are not your trauma. You have lived with such power and such grace and such strength, and that is healing and we need to always define for everyone, but especially for our youth, that you are remarkable and the strength that you possess as a black youth or a BIPOC youth to exist in this environment and really be able to live each day is centered in strength. And we want to center in healing. And that really is that, that positive development from healing-centered engagement, whereas trauma-informed care, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to negate that term because it's, it's incredibly relevant for me working with Black youth and BIPOC youth, pointing out, and they're in environments where when you are one of the few they're often asked, right? How are they experiencing these pieces? What has your trauma been? 
So not only are they being defined by the dominant culture in these settings by their trauma, they're being asked to be re-traumatized to describe their experiences. So what, what I really work on is recentering. One, you don't have to say anything to anybody about anything. And I no longer bring groups of Black students, BIPOC students to settings that aren't safe. Not that, not that we did that, but the, the intention was this community fulfillment of people understanding this is the Black youth experience in these predominantly white settings. But our kids get burdened with educating, not just other youth, but educating adults. And I really just centered them and they have centered themselves on, this is about us, nothing about us without us. This is our experience. We're not going to one, be defined by dominant culture and two, be defined by what their expectations of our trauma has been. So going back to that healing-centered engagement piece, a big piece of that is the sense of safety and belonging. And that really has been what my groups for Black students and BIPOC students has centered around as well, because I want to make sure that there's always a safe space where they can be with folks who look like them, who have shared experiences, shared life journeys, and they can, for once during a week, let their guard down and speak their truth and really be supported and feel loved. And that's the sort of the last piece I'll say, I always say, they'll know if you ask any of my kids, what's Miss Clark's favorite word? Phenomenal. Because I think they're absolutely all phenomenal. And oh, I get a little emotional, but the, we see them and we respect them and we love them. In a, in a way, I guess you're trying to convince that what you just said is a reality. And that, you know, speaks to what we were talking about earlier about, well, you know, people would just like work hard, don't do anything illegal. And, you know, this is America and you can be anything that you want. So I'm just wondering, especially on the east side, having worked there for over 20 years, are you still running into the pushback or the denial or the, I don't know, I don't see color. Oh, Kevin. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, place. so, yeah, with, without a doubt. And one of my reasons for starting East Side Youth Coalition was that very fact. I mean, I, I worked for and I continue to partner with many um, predominantly white institutions. But the reason for starting this is because we don't have that time. And I always say this, if you're a black person, if you're a BIPOC person, our sense of urgency is every minute of every single day. And I definitely feel it with our students. And I always say to people, we have high school students for a finite period of time, right? We have them for four years. And I can't sit through another meeting about a strategic plan that's not coming to fruition for another 12 years. My, my son, my youngest son, he's, he's 26 years old now. And we came, he started in the Bellevue School District when he was in fourth grade. And there are things that were focused on and promised them. And, and I think 
my not I, I understand the environment that I must work in, but I also have turned all my energy to yes, I get the pushback without a doubt. And yes, I feel because I'm incredibly desirous of our children being in the best possible environments when they go back to PWI environments that I deal with what that, that pushback is and trying to continually explain that here is the relevance for having a program or programs that are just spaces for black and BIPOC students. Why is this relevant? Why should you fund this? Why must this continue? Because these safe spaces are the things that will that that are literally and figuratively saving our students' lives. And again, it's that piece that keeps me going back to try and convincing people that racism actually exists and that our students experience it as we do every single day, every single day. And they experience it in so many different ways because it's not just, I think a lot of times people assume there has been a racialized incident or someone has, you know, it, it, a, a microaggression. Yes, all of those things exist, but it's also every day in curriculum. When our students are sitting in class and they never hear curriculum that's reflective of their experiences and they never see the greatness of people who were engaged in not just a Martin Luther King or, or a Rosa Parks, but in the creation of mathematics. And no one says to them that civilization began in Africa, right? That's where civilization began. I mean, I joked with the kids the other day. I said, people say you're we do have students who are first generation from African countries, but I said, you know, getting defined as African-American, I said, you know what, they're, they're really American African because everything began in Africa. And that again is a source of strength. So I try to deal with the pushback that I get from predominantly white, educators and leaders in community with the reality of what our students experience but i still put all my energy in the journey that students are walking right so that they're not always so onerous of having to convince people of their experiences of their trauma and that's that's really the other piece that I'm so proud of students that I've had the opportunity to work with and other BIPOC adults, but in particular students is they not only recognize how being activist is important, but they also recognize how changing the system from within is important. And they've done a lot of important work. And one of the groups that I do is called Youth and Government, but they look at also the changing of legislation and the changing of policies in school districts. And one arena that they've worked on that's so impressive is the school resource officer program that 
because of the youth in Bellevue, the Black and BIPOC youth in Bellevue, that system is being changed and upended. So again, I go back to their power. Yes, we get pushback, but the most important thing is their power and their voice. And I am overwhelmed and impressed every day by having the opportunity to work with our youth. There's a lot of youth peer-to-peer -peer support specialists. There's actually a peer-to-peer -peer youth support specialist program, which is amazing because especially with teens, that's sometimes the first stop that they're making. They have said something to a friend that they may have never said to any adults in their lives. So there's a lot of knowledge around trauma, distress, suicide, suicidal ideation, that it is a friend, a peer that is hearing this information and they are worried and they are concerned about their, their, their friend. They don't know what to do about it, but they also don't wanna betray the trust that is developed friend to friend. And I think working primarily with youth is, is just also giving them the tools and the comfort to understand that you can listen, but you don't have to be your friend's therapist. You don't have to find solutions for them. Just your very being there and your being in a relationship that is supportive with them. But also, like I explained to all the students, you know, I'm a mandatory reporter too. And that's one thing that I always share as an adult working with youth is I absolutely keep your information confidential. I absolutely am here to support you. But if you share anything about harm to self or harm to others, that's something that I have to report. And that's particularly important in developing that relationship of trust, which is I think is sort of the first step. What I've seen happen before in, in work with schools, and I've been in mental health teams in a school district setting is that a student isn't known to anyone until they're in crisis. And one of the best things that we can do is to develop as many um, meaningful relationships when I'm speaking about young people, and this applies to older people too, before the crisis occurs. To do as much, we, we talk to students about if you have something going on, go to a person you trust. And having that access for young people to people to someone that they trust that they can talk to is key. And if you can be that person in that space, that relationship development to then be able to identify when a student is in crisis, the more we can have people like that in those spaces, the better we can serve our youth. And the more people that we can have from diverse backgrounds, who are in those spaces, the better we can serve our youth as well. Young people get a lot of different messages because they get the message from their home and their, their families and loved ones not to share anything at all. And then they're getting all of this educational information around you know, bullying, harassment, and intimidation in the schools that the first thing you must do is report. But then often with our BIPOC students, they have the courage to report 
and then they're minimized and they're not believed. So there's this, it's this cycle of where do I fit? How do I share my truth? And where do I really find support? Those are some of the pieces in community as adults, especially Black and BIPOC adults, we can be so much more supportive of our youth being a, a safe adult in that space. Because often that's the first moment that something is shared. And then if you have someone to walk that journey with you to the actual reporting that you know you've been believed by someone and then getting connected from there with the right therapeutic supports, which I can say across the board does not happen for in particular, I BIPOC youth. I'm the mother of black young men. I'm the auntie of black young men and I'm the sister of black men and the daughter of, a, and, but I can't walk in the shoes of the trauma that black men experience. And I really am working hard right now on creating that group and working with black men who thankfully are interested in creating a group for black young men to first come and develop the relationships and then continue to have those conversations around trauma that they may have experienced, as well as then connecting them with other professional black men to work with in a therapeutic setting. Because I feel it's incredibly important, incredibly important when I'm looking at my community that we connect with professionals that look like us and are from our community and have that lived experience when we're talking about sharing trauma. And again, there's so many women in that profession. I am just excited meeting Mike, hearing from Mike, but how important it is to have men in that profession and then men who are reflective of our BIPOC students' experiences to talk with them about what their trauma has meant to them. That was excerpts of Eastside Youth Coalition founder and executive director Michelle Williams-Clark speaking at a Seattle King County NAACP Health Committee-sponsored panel on anxiety, stress, and depression during the COVID pandemic. Special thanks to Kevin Henry for this audio. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.